Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fill Up Your Cup podcast. I hope you have all had a restful and joyful holiday period and that your cups are somewhat filled back up after some time to rest and recharge. I am very excited to be back for a second season of the podcast and to bring you even more feel-good content. And not only that, to bring you voices and conversations and perspectives that are not just mine, because I have a whole host of incredible guests lined up for this season, and I cannot wait to share their ideas and their inspirational words with you as well to fill up your many different cups in your well-being cupboard. Today is the first episode of the second season, and for the month of January, I thought it would be helpful to focus on the topic of goal setting and look at it from a few different perspectives. Throughout this month, I'm going to be giving you different takes on goal setting because I'm not a fan of New Year's resolutions myself, and I do think it's much more powerful to set personal growth goals that are sustainable, but also the kind of goals that you come back to continuously to reflect on or build on. So rather than giving yourself some kind of big, broad goal or list of goals for the new year, that you have something that's a little bit more personal and that comes from a place of self-compassion, but also this kind of place of growth mindset and really looking at how you can push yourself to be the best version of yourself. With that in mind, I felt we couldn't look at this topic without looking at that idea of our health and fitness cup. Because this time of year is such a bombardment of health and fitness and diet goals that we get hit with right off the back of the holiday period. And I felt that this conversation was one that I couldn't have without a professional weighing in and sharing some insight and information and well-sourced advice as well. So I'm so excited to share this episode with you. I am speaking with nutrition coach Jane Jones, who just so happens to be one of my amazing sisters. Jane has a Bachelor of Science in Human Nutrition and Dietetics and is a student of IOPN postgraduate diploma in performance nutrition. She began nutrition coaching for powerlifting in 2020 and now works part-time as a nutrition coach with the Strengths Guys. As well as that, she began her own powerlifting journey in 2019 and made the junior Irish team in 2021, representing Ireland at the IPF Worlds and Europeans. So she's someone with a lot of experience and is very passionate about this concept of nutrition that helps us feel good but also fuels those health and fitness goals that we have. So whether you're someone who is trying to improve your sports performance this year or just learn a little bit more about how nutrition can help you with that or you're someone who just wants to fill into your health cup this year, this episode is for you. We're going to be breaking down and debunking some of those fad diet trends. And Jane is going to share some incredible advice on how you can set sustainable health and fitness goals for yourself this year. 
So let's dive in. My name's Laura, a teacher turned creator, but you can think of me like your new internet big sister. And each episode of Fill Up Your Cup, like a deep and meaningful conversation in the form of a voice note from a friend who never wants you to feel alone in what you're going through. Whether your confidence cup is dried up or your self-love cup is looking a little closer to empty than full, I'm gonna teach you how to add more feel goodness back into your different cups and as a result, your life. So pop in your headphones, cozy up with a warm cup of tea or whatever takes your fancy and let me troubleshoot your problems with you because together and with the right mindset, we can face anything. Before we jump on into today's episode, I wanted to insert this little disclaimer and trigger warning to let you know that in this episode, we talk about the topic of dieting and weight loss. If this subject is triggering to you or makes you feel uncomfortable, please feel free to click out of this episode and go and do something that makes you feel good. You can also go back through the archives of the podcast and listen to another episode that might help fill up your cup today. I have a whole episode on setting self-compassionate goals that are attainable and achievable, and that might be just what you need to help you fill up your cup this January. Welcome to Fill Up Your Cup. I am very excited to have you on. One, because I'm really excited to dive into this topic with you because I feel like it's been a long time since we really discussed this. And two, it's the start of the year. I feel like this is a time of year where people set goals around their well-being. And even though physical well-being is something that we talk about a lot, it's also something we have a lot of misinformation about. So I'm really excited to dive into that and get your opinions, your professional experience on this, and hopefully give us all a little bit more guidance on how we can, yes, make our physical well-being a goal for 2023, but do it in a way that is sustainable and also actually good for us and not fall into some of those pitfalls and traps and that often we all fall into at this time of the year. But to start out, obviously I know your story, I know your background, but our listeners do not. So tell us a little bit about yourself how you ended up doing what you're doing now um, and kind of some of your experience working in the field of nutrition and also sports coaching. So I studied human nutrition and dietetics in Trinity College Dublin and Dublin Institute of Technology um, for four years from 2016 to 2020 um, when I graduated. I didn't actually get to have the graduation um, with my um, bachelor's degree virtually graduated with a first class honours in my bachelor's degree in human nutrition and dietetics um, and I then went on to work as a registered dietitian in the clinical setting for about two years so most people who study dietetics and go on to become a dietitian end up working in like a hospital medical uh, setting um, I suppose just to let you know what is the difference between uh, nutrition and dietetics and a nutritionist and a dietitian so nutrition is the scientific study of nutrients and how they interact with the body. 
Um, and then dietetics is what's called the clinical application of that. And as I said, a lot of focus on that is on nutrition in disease. Um, so nutritionists uh, in uh, the UK, you can become a certified nutritionist. In Ireland, there's no board for you to register with. And in most countries, it's that way. There might be a board for you to register with, but nutritionist isn't what's called a protected title. So a dietitian is a protected title. That means it's against the law to call yourself a dietitian if you aren't a registered one. Similar to, you know, a doctor, you wouldn't call yourself a doctor if you weren't one. Um, so in that sense, a lot of people out there can call themselves a nutritionist, whether they've done a four-year degree and are highly qualified and highly knowledgeable, or they've done a six-week online course. So that is kind of one of the biggest things I've run into is nutritionist versus dietitian. But anyway, I worked as a dietitian for two years in a clinical setting. So uh, my first job, I worked in uh, renal, which is kidneys. I worked in uh, dialysis. So working with patients who are on dialysis because they have really specific diets they have to follow because their kidneys aren't filtering everything from their blood properly. Um, then in my second job, I worked in heart and lung transplant and cardiology, which uh, was a really challenging uh job working with people who are prepping for heart transplants and making sure that their uh, nutrition is a good enough status that they can go through that operation and then I also worked in mental health in a community ses uh, setting so uh, working mainly with eating disorders but also um, depression anxiety and other psychiatric disorders that would affect people's nutrition how their medication affected their nutrition so yeah, that's pretty much my clinical uh, background. I stopped working in a clinical setting as a dietitian earlier this year, um, and I've actually kind of moved into a sales role within the sporting and gym equipment uh, scene. Um, and that kind of ties into my other passion, which is powerlifting. Uh, I've been doing powerlifting since 2019, the end of 2019. Um, and yeah, I've competed internationally uh, for Ireland twice and I work with powerlifters in terms of their nutrition. So uh, powerlifting is a weight class sport. And um, so weight cutting, like, you know, like in boxing or kind of any of those other weight class sports is really important. So your nutrition is super important. Um, so I've been working with powerlifters for their nutrition since middle of 2020, I would say. Um and in the meantime, since then, I've also been completing a level seven diploma online in performance nutrition accredited by the IOPN, which is a, a UK based uh, sports nutrition online diploma. I think that's <laughs> I think I've covered most of it. That's all your your many degrees and certificates and qualifications. Yeah. I think something that really came out there though as well and and uh is that kind of like link between the world of sport and the world of nutrition but also that really strong link between the world of mm. medicine, health and the world of nutrition and I think that's something that I learned a lot through your learning about your roles was just how much work you had and how much, uh, like not coaching, that's the wrong word, but just supporting those patients in different settings in terms of helping them after operations, getting ready for operations and helping them understand food a little bit better because there is a lot 
that we don't understand about it. Yeah, totally. And and there's a lot of misinformation out there, both in the sports world and the medical world. You know, you know, it, it hurts me a little bit because I feel like people particularly pry on those who have something going on with their health and you know they are desperate to Mm -hmm. do as we all would be anything to to get better and whether that's you know buying into misinformation about certain supplements or certain types of exclusion diets and things like that and it's the same with, with sports I mean people really underestimate how powerful nutrition is in in uh, sorry improving your performance so people will buy into anything that they think is going to going to help them to get better and I think that translates into the everyday person Mm -hmm. as well as you know if someone's selling you a message online about how they're going to change your life you will buy into that it's hard not to yeah especially if you're in as you say like a vulnerable position or you're in a competitive position as well but I think something that's interesting about your story as well from my observation is just you fell into the world of powerlifting at a really similar time when you were starting to study your your nutrition and dietetics degree. And I think what I saw was like this amazing transformation in terms of how the combination of learning about those two things alongside really changed your relationship with food, nutrition, but also yourself in terms of the confidence that training and powerlifting gave you that changed your relationship with food and diet and what that meant to you personally and seeing you develop this really like symbiotic relationship between Mm -hmm. exercising and moving your body and what you were eating and how that all connected together rather than this kind of world where we, many of us have grown up in, especially millennials. I mean, it is kind of mm. breaking down a little bit now, but this kind of world of diet as a word meant restriction, not what you actually eat and what you feed yourself, which is the yeah. correct definition of the term. Isn't that right? Yeah. Like a, a, a diet is the a method of how you, you know, eat, eat your food. All of us follow a diet. We all have our own diet it doesn't necessarily mean dieting, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, following fad diets or certain plans. But yeah, I'd certainly agree with you that I was lucky that by, you know, starting going to the gym and my third year of my dietetics degree. And I just had this experience of learning, oh, food is fuel and Mm -hmm. how I feel my body, how I perform in the gym. And I just had a really positive experience with it. And but some people go in the opposite direction. They start going to the gym because they want to become fit and healthier and then they end up falling down this track of really restricting their diet or you know following fad plans and then they develop a negative association with with both of those things let's talk about that because it is the new year as we've already said this whole new year new me diet and exercise marketing is impossible to avoid at this time of year. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I do feel like it's something that's improving the conversation. The the reverse side of that conversation is getting louder and louder every year, but still the cover of every magazine in January, every health quote unquote health magazine is going to be telling mm-hmm. you about what diet you can do to lose what you ate during Christmas and what exercise regime you can do to have six pack abs by summertime. Mm -hmm. And we know that this kind of trending dieting, it's not sustainable, but what are some of like the, the pitfalls or the dangers that people can fall into at this time of year because of all the misinformation around it, if they're 
not as informed about their body or their well-being and the impact that that can have on people long term yeah so like i certainly think you know the new year is a very natural time to set new goals for everybody and i don't think there's anything wrong with setting new year's resolutions but it's this it, it's being smart about them and it's this we we get sold this idea that you can change your life in six weeks and it's really drastic measures and the problem is that's what's sexy that's what sells no one wants to be told okay change things gradually over 15 weeks and you'll you know feel fine they want to be told they can get a six pack in six weeks mm-hmm. that that's what what sells we want a quick fix but you're right there certainly is a danger in this and I think even the danger even starts before the new year happens because people have this idea when January comes around that's it it's over and then they kind of use that to allow themselves to overindulge week in week out for the you know December and you know when I when I say overindulge obviously you know the Christmas and the holiday season is for enjoyment you know food is a part of our mental health it can be you know religious traditions or family traditions but they kind of have this idea well I really better enjoy myself now because yeah. when January comes it, it, it's all gone I better eat and, this whole selection box now because I won't be able to eat it in January yeah. even if that's not what you want and that's not what's going to make you feel feel good um and then we can end up feeling really negative, like we've overdone it over Christmas and that we really need to restrict ourselves coming into January. And, you know, something that I talked to you about before this is how that's really similar to like the binge restrict cycle that we see in some eating disorders. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, a period of overindulgence followed by feelings of guilt and shame and then feelings of, well, I need to restrict myself. I need to diet really hard because I need to make up for what I've done. And what people often get stuck in this cycle. It might not be a full-blown eating disorder, but it's certainly disordered eating. And I see it so commonly, this cycle of enjoyment, enjoyment, enjoyment. Oh, I've gone too far. I need to really back in and then restriction. And every time someone has the the period of overeating, they think that they've messed up and they think that's a thing that they've done wrong and that's what they need to fix. But what they don't realize is the the restriction is what causes you to do that when you put your body into that state of, uh, you know, severe calorie deficit, and it's even a psychological thing of saying, I cannot allow myself to eat chocolate. It's like when someone says to you, don't think of a pink elephant, all you can think of is a pink elephant. You want to do the thing that you're told that you can't do. So if you tell yourself, I can't eat that, I can't eat that, I can't eat that, you're going to want it more. And then when you do have it, you are more likely to have more of it than you would feel comfortable having. So what really needs to happen is that we stop that restriction part. When you have a period of, you know, I'm just going to use the term overindulgence or overeating and, you know, that's contextualized for everybody. But it's important that you don't spiral into the, well, I need to cut everything out of my diet. I need to exercise really rigorously because you're setting yourself up to go through the same cycle again. And I think when it comes to what you can do to avoid that and do to avoid these drastic new year's resolutions is really think about making changes to your lifestyle not changing your life um and i think that's a really important point to take away is you you don't have to change your life to like you don't have to start doing things that you've never done because it's probably not going to last it's just as important that 
mental relationship that you have with food as it is the the physical relationship. Um, because that, from what I can gather, is really where the big change can happen. I also love that yeah. you said there, it's not a six-week thing. It is harder to accept that it's a long-term mm-hmm. thing, but improving your health is something that you want to be sustainable and you want it to be long-term. And so if it is something yeah. that you want to improve this year or next month or whenever it is, that's a it's a life commitment that you're making to yourself as well. It shouldn't be yeah. for someone else or necessarily simply for the aesthetics of it, but for what it gives back to yourself. And, and that changes the whole relationship with it. But going yeah. back to some of that, that yeah. bin restrict cycle, um, what are some of the long-term impacts of that type of crash dieting? And equally, why is that type of mindset around food and exercise not sustainable long-term? Yeah. So I suppose, you know, some of the risks are if you are finding yourself that you have that that poor relationship with food, you know, you are at a high risk of developing an eating disorder uh, down the line, you know, um, and those are, you know, very dangerous, um, very damaging to your physical health, very damaging to your mental health. But being stuck in this, you know, binge restrict cycle and chronic dieting, I don't so in terms of like your physical health implications if you go on a crash diet for six weeks and you lose weight like really quickly you go on it to a super low calorie deficit you're going to the gym six days a week and you're losing so much weight you're likely losing a lot of that weight as your muscle mass as well as your fat mass um because lots of studies have shown and you know this is particularly prevalent when i work with powerlifters and people that go to the gym is that a slow rate of weight loss is much more effective for uh, losing fat and preserving your muscle mass. Um, And also sufficient protein is needed in your diet as well for you to maintain that muscle mass. And apart from being protective for for your your health, you know, for your movement, muscle mass also plays into your metabolism. So that's how much uh, energy you use up, how how much energy you need in a day. So you can see how this can put someone into a tricky cycle of dieting, losing fat and muscle mass, then overeating, potentially gaining most of that back as fat because in the other direction, the quicker we gain weight, the more likely it is to go on as fat. The slower we gain weight, the more likely you're putting some on as muscle mass as well. So you're over time, you're just reducing your, your muscle mass and your reducing your metabolism that goes with that and then you're finding it harder to diet when you do have to go into these diet phases and it's becoming more restrictive and more hard and as I said you know muscle is so important for so many things you know it's important for your physical activity your and I don't just mean running I mean everyday physical activity you know getting up and down the stairs walking to the shop you we kind of take that for granted when we're young when we're in our you know 20s 30s whatever as you get older, that's going to start getting more and more important because as we get older, we just lose muscle mass as a result of aging. But if you're already going in there with, with a small amount or a reduced amount to start off with, you know, you're going to be putting yourself at higher risk for, you know, injuries and falls and and things like that. There's so much evidence around that. And I think, you know, working in a hospital setting Uh, when I was in university and during work as well really put that into perspective for me in a way that I'd never imagined before 
you know, seeing elderly people struggle with their mobility or have falls and end up in hospital, you know, that really put me in perspective of that's not a situation that I want to be in in years to come if I can. Um, but yeah, short, short term, it can affect that thing, like I said, of, you know, those diets start to get harder and harder on you physically and that becomes psychologically more taxing as well mm-hmm. and then in terms of your you know mental health in the short term cycling between you know maybe allowing yourself to have social eating and not allowing yourself to have social eating you know if you're going in those really strict dieting phases that might you know cut you off from certain things like going out for meals with your friends yeah. or a significant other or you know little occasions like that and that starts to eat into your your mental health as well and it's just long term not a good cycle to be in especially when there is a way to break it and it's never good to have a polarizing view on any food that any food is good or any food is bad or I can only have this food at this time I can't have it at this time every food has a place in your diet Mm-hmm. doesn't matter whether it's a chocolate bar or whether it's an apple they all have a place in our diet and this is something you know in terms of culture and diet culture that when me and you were growing up would have been really prevalent is that there's in terms of like the media and everything like that that there's good foods and that there's bad foods and that's just not true so again it comes back to the mindset and the relationship with food but also that balance I think something that I learned from you. And again, that that comes from misinformation that it seems like an obvious fact, but until you kind of really pointed it out to me, I didn't really like join the dots on that fact. And that when you are someone who decides, okay, I want to improve my health, you think, okay, I need to restrict my diet and increase my exercise. But often that has worse impact on your health because you're suddenly exerting more energy than you used to be. And so you might feel like, okay, for a couple of days, but then week two or week three, you suddenly crash and you feel worse than you did before. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you're getting every illness that's going because your immune system is struggling as well. And so it's about that recognizing, first of all, where you are at, what you need, and also that checking in with the professional. So if it is from a place of being at a certain point in your life, or you are struggling to shift body fat, or you are struggling to feel energetic and to feel healthy. And that's why you want to improve your health. And that's definitely not something you should do alone using mm-hmm. some kind of diet or exercise that's recommended to you by a magazine or from a blog. That's something that you mm-hmm. should be speaking with your doctor about so that you can do it gradually, slowly over time and know that the impact that you're going to have on your own well being is going to be worth doing it slowly because if you do it the other way, actually in the long term, in the future, that could have a far worse impact on your health than waiting it out or just staying the way things are. And I think what you highlighted there is, you know, we're talking a lot about the psychological links and impact, but it's also physiological as well. So your body and, you know, when you put yourself in an extreme calorie deficit and you're exercising low you're right your your input is lower than it was and your output is higher than it was so you're in this negative balance and the longer you're in an extreme negative balance the hungrier you're you're going to be and and that ties into that binge restrict cycle as well and you know honoring your hunger is super important and 
a lot of diets promoted out there to help you lose weight are just extremely restrictive. And as you said, at the start, you lose loads of weight. Majority of them, the reason you're losing weight is because you're cutting out carbohydrate. And if for every gram carbohydrate you store in your body, you store water with it. So when you start to not consume as much carbs in your diet, your body's going to use up the stores in your muscle. And when it uses up those stores, there's water coming with it. So you might drop, oh my God, a kilo in like half a week of the first week. A lot of that is your water weight that that's gone with your muscles. And when you're eating into your glycogen stores and you're in your muscles, your training in the gym or your, your exercise is going to be harder as well, because that's what that's there for. That's mm-hmm. that, that it's that fuel source for that. And I think, as you said, it's not easy to do it the long-term way, but what you have to ask yourself is if you are planning on making changes, as you said, whether that be because you want to feel better or because of whether it's your physical appearance you're allowed to feel happy with how you currently look and still want to change it mm-hmm. I think you know obviously I'm a huge body positivity proponent but I think people can get shamed in the body positivity community for wanting to change you're you're allowed to be happy with how you look and still want to to change that and it may be health driven as well because there's so many layers to it as well I think we associate it especially food and exercise we associate that so much with aesthetics and so much with a specific aesthetic yeah and that if we're going to the gym it's because we want to look this way but there are so many layers to it and it is okay to want to do that because I'm comfortable in my body, but I also want to think about my future in 10 years from now in 20 years from now Mm -hmm. Also, I work from home, for example, or many of us live a sedentary life now and are becoming more mm-hmm. aware of the long-term impacts of that and starting to think ahead and think, well, if this is how I'm living now, what's that going to do for my bone health or my muscle health and also my mental health totally. in 10, 15 years down the road? So there's so many layers to it. Unfortunately, we're only marketed one layer of it. Exactly. And what you have to you know, think and realize is if you're thinking, I want to make a change I'm I'm maybe I'm happy with my current situation or I'm not happy with my current situation and I, I want to make some changes do you want to change for six weeks and have really sudden results but that's it you've only changed for six weeks and then you go back to where you were before or do you want to change for the rest of your life and that sounds so dramatic like do you want to change for the rest of your life but it, it's true and they always taught that to us in, in college you know when you were dealing with you know, just healthy eating or weight management is that you want to help people make changes to their lifestyle, mm-hmm. not go on a diet. You yeah. want to help them change something that they're doing now to live a healthier lifestyle that then impacts all those other things that they want to change. There's a, a concept called haze in dietetics, and that's health at every size. And that should be that, you know, when you're dealing with weight management is that you don't actually focus on the weight, you focus on moving more, eating healthier and you know I said healthier is contextual and making sustainable changes to your diet and what happens to your weight and your body comes as a side effect of that and I I think that's a really good way to view it is that what you're trying to do is you're trying to change your behavior and because everything we do as humans is is linked down to our behaviors we're creatures of, of habit we're so habit linked and if you do something for six weeks, that's really extreme. You're not actually changing your habits. 
So that, that's what you need to look at is making changes to your lifestyle that you're going to be able to maintain forever. So that, well, I mean, forever is a big word, but for as long as it works for you. Yeah, exactly. For, for a lot, as long as it works for you, because what you are, you don't want to change for six weeks. If change is what you want, you want to make that change for, you know, for you for a long period of time. Exactly. If you're only doing it for six weeks, you've got a question. Am I, am I doing this for the right reasons? If I want the result in six weeks, is the reason I want the result actually for me or is it another exactly. reason or what, what's going be. on here? This episode of Philip Your Cup podcast is not sponsored. So I wanted to take a moment to share with you some of the free resources that I've created that can help fill up your cup. If you're hoping to make 2023 the year that you become more passionate about and consistent with your journaling practice, then my free email journaling course might just be the thing that you need. An intro to daily journaling is a free seven day email course where we cover everything that you need to know about getting started with a journaling practice that is sustainable and feels good. We'll explore how to overcome the blank page, how to set intentions, how to create gratitude reflections, the power of doing mind mapping, as well as some tips on how to stream of conscious write so that you can analyze your own thoughts and feelings and start to support yourself and coach yourself through some of those big challenging feelings. If this sounds like something that would fill up your cup and that you would be interested in, you can sign up for free by going to laurajaneillustrations.com forward slash journal or by clicking the link in the show notes. That gives us a really good segue into my last question for you, which will bring us back to this goal setting, because we started this conversation looking at new year, new me. And that's a concept that I really want to challenge, or I want to get people to challenge mm-hmm. themselves this year is you don't want to set goals at the start of the year to be a new version of yourself, but rather to create goals that are going to improve you where you are and allow you the space for growth and that are sustainable goals. And when it comes mm-hmm. to physical health and looking at both exercise in that and also diet and nutrition, how can people set wellness, physical wellness goals for themselves this year in a way that is safe and sustainable, regardless of where they currently are in their journey? What is like, where should mm-hmm. they start? What should they look at? And what would their next steps be? So in terms of, you know, goal setting, there's I'm sure everybody's heard about SMART goals. I don't know. You've probably talked about that before. So what SMART stands for is specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time-bound. So using that analogy is a really good way to set up goals for yourself is to see if it ticks each and every one of those boxes. And what specific means is be clear and specific about your goals. So for example, that could be A not smart goal would be, I want to drink more water. A smart goal would be, I'm going to drink two liters of water every day. I'm going to fill up my water bottle at nine in the morning and have that finished by 12. And then I'm going to have my second bottle between 12 and three. And I'm going to put my water bottle on my desk where I can see it and where I can drink it. So that was time bound. That was specific. Um, it was actionable. And for me, that's realistic because I sit at my desk every day doing work. So I I only have to get up to fill it twice and I put it in front of me and I'm going to remember 
to, to drink it. So you can use SMART goals. I would say if you're going to change your behavior, you need to know what you're changing. So you need to monitor your behavior first. So if that's your diet, that could be doing something like keeping a food diary and trying to see what patterns crop up um, over time so you can identify the behaviors that you want to change. Um, and, you know, your exercise behavior as well, your sleep behavior, you know, you need to monitor your current behavior to make changes to it. And again, to make changes that are specific to you. Um, you know, working with a professional is always a good idea, whether that's, you know, um, a registered dietitian or, you know, someone at your gym, if you're starting off into a training program, if you're feeling run down or unsure about some things about your health, it's a good idea to maybe go to your, your GP or your doctor and, and get a checkup um, in that sense. But another thing that I would say in terms of goals is something that's from the book Atomic Habits, which is called Habit Stacking. Um, and I really like this one. So uh, what it is, is again, we mentioned, you mentioned breaking habits is really hard. Setting habits is, is really hard. And again, human beings are such creatures of habits. So the idea of habit stacking is uh, trying to build a new habit into one that you already do. For So for example, you wake up every morning and you brush your teeth and you want to start remembering to, my New Year's resolution is always skincare because I'm so bad for it. So I want to remember start putting on my face cream. So I'm going to leave out my face cream and I'm going to put it right beside my toothbrush so that when I get up to do that habit that I already do, I remember to do the new one. That could be the same as, you know, you want to start drinking a glass of water in the morning is you leave the glass beside the coffee machine. So when you wake up in the morning, you go to make your coffee. Oh, I'll pour myself my glass of water and I'll drink it. And I think that that one works really well because you're just trying to stack that new behavior on top of one that you, that you already do. So instead of like changing your life to fit the new habit, well, it's about seeing how the changes in the habits that you want to make already fit into what you're doing. And I think also yeah. something that's really important that you mentioned there is having a look at what you're already doing. So if it's a, uh, health goal that relates to your eating habits, you have to look at what your eating habits are first and from a non-judgmental point of view before you can make the change. But I think also something that I would add there is don't try and change everything altogether because as we've already I was just discussed, about to say that, yeah, don't don't change too many things at once because you're just not going to be able to do it. Um, a rule when I was in college and when I was dealing with patients was I'd always try to give them three pieces of advice to start off with because anything over that you're not going to be able to take in and you're probably not going to be able to apply. So that that could be something that you do. You know, you try, you maybe you set three new habits and then you work on those and you you don't start introducing new stuff until you feel like you've accomplished working you're with those. Because if you just try and yeah. And as we said before, if you just try and change everything, you're probably going to be able to do it for a day or two, but it's not going to, to, to last forever. And I think if anyone is interested in behavior change and setting goals, Atomic Habits is a really good read. That's just applicable to every area of your life, your nutrition, your work, everything. Um, I would really recommend giving it a read. Well, thank you for all of that amazing information. I feel like this is, it's been such a big conversation. I think it's an important conversation and I hope that it's going to change people's perspective around health goals because 
And New Year's resolution is supposed to be for the whole year. And so that's something that you have to look at in the long term and setting a goal now in January for the whole year is a big thing to do. So like breaking it down slowly, looking at it from a habit point of view, looking at it from a feeling point of view, avoiding if possible, looking at it from the aesthetic point of view, but trying to get your bigger picture to get your why to get clear on it. And then checking in with yourself regularly throughout the year to see is that goal working for you and being okay with changing it if it's not, because it's always changing. If people want to see more from you, where can they find you? Where can they follow you? What have you got coming up this year that is might be interesting? So the main place you can find me is Instagram. Um, I'm at Jane Kate underscore, and that's Jane with a Y. Um, this year, uh, I think it's just going to be a big year in terms of nutrition coaching and working on that within within powerlifting, which I'm uh, really excited about. Um, that is my passion project, and I'm hopefully going to be finishing up my uh, diploma um, in performance nutrition at the end of the year as well. Um, so I'm excited to get that done and to take a little break from study for a while. There's never a break because you should always be trying to improve and learning is for life. But so true. Yeah. First, I mean, as a teacher, I'll definitely, I'm, I'm kind of like heart eye emoji at that. <laughs> yeah. Learning is for life. Well, what a great note to, to end on. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today, Jane. And we hope you have a very successful 2023 and also in your upcoming competitions as well in powerlifting. And hopefully Thank some you. of our listeners are going to go on over and follow and support you as well. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode of the podcast and that you got a fresh look on the kind of health goals you can set for yourself to really fill into your physical well-being cup this year. If you have any questions or personal stories on this topic, you can send them to me by submitting to the suggestion cup by heading over to laurajaneillustrations.com forward slash podcast or by sending me a DM on at fillupyourcuppod on Instagram. I hope that you are going to fill into your health and well-being cup in the best possible way this year and set yourself some really feel-good goals. And I'd love to hear what they are as well. So be sure to send me a message or a DM on Instagram and let me know what your new health and fitness goals might be because maybe this episode has changed your mind and maybe helped you rethink what you thought you needed to do and given you a fresh take on that. If you made it to the end of this episode, I want you to take a moment right now and remember that you are worthy of feel-good feelings. If you want to submit a question for a future episode or add to the suggestion box, you can do so by heading to laurajaneillustrations.com forward slash podcast or simply by clicking the link in the show notes. You can also leave me your questions, episode suggestions, or just let me know what you think of this episode by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you liked this episode, don't forget to rate or review it on whichever app is your favorite place to listen to podcasts. You can't pour from an empty cup. So 
give yourself a big hug from me right now and promise me that you will do one thing today that brings you joy.